Practically since the Affordable Care Act was signed into law in 2010, Republicans have vowed to kill it, and they've held dozens of largely ceremonial votes in Congress to strike down President Obama's legislative legacy. Now, with a President Donald Trump, repeal could be a reality, hastened with a procedural tool that would require only 51 votes in the Senate. But what will conservatives do after that? Could millions of people lose coverage? And what are we to make of Trump saying he wants to keep some popular parts of Obama's law? I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by CQ health policy reporter Aaron Mershon. So, Aaron, until now, the somewhat abstract notion of killing Obamacare, uh, it's become a reality, or just about a reality. It seems to me, though, this is one of those you-break-it-and-it's-yours propositions. Just repealing all or parts of the law would send shockwaves through an already shaky healthcare market. Yeah, thanks, first of all, for having me, Adriel. Um, and you're right. Republicans are in a really interesting position right now. This has been a campaign promise of theirs for years, and they really feel like they finally have the mandate to repeal this law. They can't back out now and just decide to pass some tweaks or something like that. We are talking about repeal. But you're, you're also right. If they could repeal the law with a simple sentence, just wholesale, goodbye Obamacare, it would be a disaster. You'd see more than 20 million people lose their insurance coverage right away. Hospitals who agreed to take less in Medicare money because of the newly insured patients they'd be getting would cry out. Insurance companies would be reeling. Even pharmaceutical companies, doctors, they'd all be dramatically impacted. This law has been in place for six years now, and the entire healthcare industry, which is a sixth of the U.S. economy, will be completely upended and not in a good way if it just gets erased right away. Now, all that said, Republicans, um, they will control the House, the Senate, and the presidency. So it's much easier to get a repealed bill to the president's desk, and it will get a signature now if they can do that. In the House, they've passed more than 60 repeal bills over the last several years. They really shouldn't have too much trouble with the effort to repeal. But things are harder in the Senate, where most measures need 60 votes to pass, and right now it looks like Republicans will only have 52 seats in the chamber next year. So what they'll do instead is use a pretty obscure procedure called reconciliation to repeal most, but importantly, not all of the law. That process is not easy, it's not clean, it's not straightforward, but it does only require 51 votes. So it's the option that most people are eyeing for the sort of quickest and easiest way to repeal as much of Obamacare as possible. And Senate Republicans actually managed to pass a reconciliation package in December of last year that would have repealed Obamacare. So they know already what they can include, what they can't. All of that has already been figured out, spelled out by staffers. And the language, which which was, of course, last year vetoed by the president, can now be pulled off the shelf and plopped into whatever they put together for next year. I think some longtime uh, observers who remember the health care debates in 2009, 2010 would, would find some irony in this, that uh, the folks who want to repeal are turning to reconciliation. This was the same tool, the same procedure Democrats used to get the law enacted uh, on party line. Uh, so I'm curious, how do conservatives propose replacing the law uh, without millions of people losing their coverage or without having the government pump billions and billions of dollars in to stabilize the insurance market? That is the million-dollar question right now, or many billions of dollar question right, <laughs> right now, right. I think. Um, and Republicans really do not have a clear answer. They've been promising to have a replacement plan ready for most of the last six years, but when it was politically unfeasible, it didn't make a lot of sense to start spelling out exact numbers, talking about what they'd really want to do, because that would have given analysts or even Democrats the chance to kind of jump down their throats for things that they didn't like or that people wouldn't like. 
and perhaps wouldn't vote for. But there are some basic proposals from President-elect Trump, from Speaker Paul Ryan in particular, that we can expect to hear a lot more about in the next couple of months here. Some are simple little changes to health policy, like letting people sell insurance across state lines isn't likely to have much of an impact, but it's something that that I think we will see a lot of talk about. Others are really big changes. Um, Republicans have talked about a tax credit to help some people buy insurance, sort of a loose analog to the way that the health law currently offers subsidies. They may also keep the exchanges in place, um, sort of a healthcare.gov-like entity, although it could be different. It could be run by a private sector. You could have employers starting to buy coverage on it. It's not really clear how the details will work out. Republicans also, including Trump, really like so-called health savings accounts, which help people buy drugs or pay copays with pre-tax dollars. But those are sort of the ideas that are circulating out there. But I will be honest with you, Republicans are really divided on a lot of this. Even if sort of leaders in Congress agree with one another, there are Freedom Caucus members, a sort of especially conservative group who aren't going to want to see X number of billions of dollars going towards health care. And there are moderates, I think, who are going to want to see more money going towards health care. You think back to the ACA, putting together that law the first time around was an extremely complicated and politically fraught exercise. It took many, many months, even when Democrats controlled bigger majorities in both chambers of Congress. That law almost did not pass. Um, And like you said, they had to use reconciliation to do it back then. So yeah, you're right. This is not going to be an easy exercise for the Republican Party. Uh, I think they know that. And I think right now, at least, that there are far more questions than answers. The, The pivot point, of course, being at the end when it's all over, how big a role will government have? in the health market. Absolutely. Uh, you wrote a good piece uh, that talked about how repeal will also play havoc with the future of the law's expansion of the Medicaid program, this the federal state jointly administered program for the poor. How so? Yeah, this is actually a, a potentially a pretty big issue, certainly in terms of policy, but also politically. I think when most people think about Obamacare and the health law, they think about healthcare.gov, the insurance exchanges for all those people who can buy health insurance even if they don't have a job now. But arguably, there's a big part of the law that had an even larger impact on the country, and that that part of the law expanded Medicaid for people who earn up to 138 percent of the poverty line. A Supreme Court decision made that expansion decision optional for states, but it's still been incredibly successful. About 15.7 million people have gained Medicaid coverage or Children's Health Insurance Program coverage since 2013 when the exchanges launched. It's It's a pretty popular expansion, too, in states that chose to do so, which is about 31 states right now, all but 19, um, so 31 including the District of Columbia. And it's it's popular even in states that are run by Republican governors or or have sort of traditionally Republican backgrounds. States like Arizona, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, they've all expanded. You know, many of those went for Trump last week. Other states, uh, including even Vice President-elect Mike Pence's former state of Indiana, expanded through a waiver process that lets them tweak how the expansion actually works or how it looks. It is not likely that all of those state leaders would really support a congressional decision that would repeal that part of the law. It's a lot of state money for them. In, in many places, it's a lot of jobs that the expansion has brought into them. It's been it's been very popular in a lot of places. And there are other states who are potentially considering even expanding now, now that there's a Republican in the White House who might be more willing to work with them on, on some of their policy priorities. President-elect Trump in early interviews has talked about keeping popular parts of the law. And this is really nothing new. A lot of Republicans have sort of taken this uh, a la carte approach uh, for quite some time. Uh, What provisions is he specifically referring to? So yeah, Medicaid expansion isn't the only part of the law that's got some bipartisan support. 
Some parts of the law are wildly popular, things like the requirement that insurance companies let parents keep their children on their plans until they're 26. The law also says insurers can't discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions. Those are the two that Trump brought up that are indeed very popular. And, and you're right, Republicans have been saying for a while they'd like to keep those provisions. But of course, the problem is that insurers only agreed to those provisions, which are very expensive for them to administer, because they knew they'd be getting all those new customers from the Obamacare exchanges. And that's really the real question going forward. How do you keep the parts that people like while scrapping so much of the rest? How do you replace this thing in a way that sort of makes some sense for the actuaries, for the insurance companies who have to administer it? You've made the point. We've made the point many times in these conversations how complicated health policy is, how intricate the health supply chain is, and how everything is interrelated. Who is advising the president-elect on health care issues? Who is explaining uh, the push and pull uh, involved with making such big changes as repeal replace? That is a very good question. And, and so far, we've only gotten a couple of names. Andrew Bremberg, who's an advisor to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, is on that list. Um, he worked for a while at the Department of Health and Human Services. And Paula Stannard, who is an Alston and Byrd attorney, she's also on the team. Um, she was Deputy General Counsel for HHS under George W. Bush. There's a couple of staffers, too, from the Conservative Heritage Foundation, which has long opposed Obamacare, who are also on the team. Um, and of course, you know, folks are starting to toss around names for who they think might become the HHS secretary. A lot of that situation is still fluid. A lot of that is still guesswork right now. But there's sort of a short list that's emerging out there. Republican presidential candidate Ben Carson, a neurosurgeon, is, of course, on that list. Um, he's been very supportive of President-elect Trump throughout the, his time on the campaign trail. And there are also a few Republican governors who have sort of a background in health care, like Bobby Jindal from Louisiana, Rick Scott from Florida, and uh, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich is actually also on a lot of lists. So we will uh, wait and see, I suppose. CQ Health Policy reporter Aaron Mershon on President-elect Trump and the Republican designs on repealing and replacing Obamacare. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all of our podcasts at rollcall.com forward slash